Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. Dude, it's so great to see it. We've been following each other on Twitter for a little while now, but we have never really interacted until this puzzle thing that we'll get into, I'm sure, at some point. But just to say this out loud, because I never told you, I've been a fan of your work for like years. Well, thank you. That is lovely to hear. Well, right back at you. I am very excited to be here. Oh, thanks so much. Puzzles bring people together. That yes. is, we can get into it later, but they are the future. Yeah. You know what we're going to do? I've been saying this is unprecedented, even though we've done it several times during recent shows. <laughs> Let's introduce the show and our guest right at the top here. Everybody, this is Leighton Knight with Brian Wecht. Here we have Leighton Gray. That's me. The one who just spoke was Brian Wecht. Mm -hmm. Mystery guest. Who are you? And how are you doing? Well, thank you for asking. Yeah, I know. The mystery was not so... Um, <laughs> not so mysterious. It was like two <laughs> minutes, two minutes of mystery. But I'm honored to be introduced so early. I am AJ Jacobs. I am a writer, author, journalist. I wrote several books. One was called The Year of Living Biblically, where I tried to live by all the rules of the Bible and I grew a crazy beard and stoned adulterers, <laughs> but I used pebbles so I didn't go to jail. And... Uh -huh. uh, yeah, I've written a couple others, and that's who I am. Mystery yep. solved. Mystery solved. And the reason, the, the puzzle thing, which I've talked about on the show, I don't know if in listening to past episodes you heard. I was so excited. Yes, thank you for <laughs> plugging it. That is awesome. Of course. Yeah, so the puzzle thing we were alluding to before is, so AJ has a new book out. It's The Puzzler. And what's the full title? Yeah, it's quite a long subtitle. It is One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzles Ever, From Crosswords to Jigsaws to the Meaning of Life. <laughs> oh, that's a title. Yeah. I want it to go big, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this is all covered in the book, which I, I'll, I'll be fully honest, I have not had a chance to read yet, because it's just out, like, in the last week that's or right. so, right? No yeah. worries. Congratulations. Hold on, before we move on, how's your, like, postpartum publication depression right now. <laughs> I haven't hit the depression yet because I still get to do fun things like talk to you. But I'd say in a week when interest completely dries up, that's when, yeah, that's when I'll be curled up in the corner and uh, sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you've had some really like high profile interviews and stuff for this book that I've seen on the Slack for this, which is awesome. Well, thank you. Yes, I've been very lucky. Yeah, I was on uh, CBS Sunday Morning, which a lot of old people watch, and old people <laughs> buy books. So that was exciting. And old people yes. love puzzles. So And they, love, they have time for puzzles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, welcome to the lowest profile interview you'll do on this, <laughs> on this press tour. Indeed. So I've been a part of the puzzle world for, I mean, it's, depending on how you count, probably 25 years or so. I've done every mystery hunt since 1999, most of those in person, which is where I know our mutual friend, Greg Pliska, right. who designed the puzzles for the online puzzle hunt associated with the book. But I'm curious, like, what was your first entry into the puzzling world? 
Well, first of all, Leighton, are you a puzzler as well or you have no interest? I dabble in a little puzzling. Yeah. All right. You dabble. By the way, dabbling, I like, is a great verb. I don't think it should have a negative connotation. So I am yes, I'm I glad agree. that you're a dabbler. I'm a very positive dabbler. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone these days is a dilettante, pretty much, right? Yeah. So a yeah. dilettante, I just learned the root is delight. So it should it not really? also, yeah, delight and to find delight in something. Oh, that is so great. I actually heard that from a friend. I haven't fact-checked it, so it might be misinformation or even disinformation. <laughs> right. I want to believe it. I want to believe it, too. We'll check later. But I loved them since I was a kid. Yeah, I, I was a Games Magazine subscriber. Yep, same. My dad, as a birthday present, I think when I was 13, they had some special deal with games. You could order every back issue, like every back issue for a hundred bucks or something. Wow. So for, I'm going to say 10 years in my room, I had a four foot stack of cardboard boxes <laughs> that were filled <laughs> with every back issue they had of games magazine dating back to when did it start the mid seventies, something like yeah, that, something like that up through, you know, 1985 or whenever we bought these it was a huge games fan. And do you have them still or are they, I don't because I did oh. all the puzzles in them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and rip the cover. I wish I had them still, but yeah. But yeah, I love Games Magazine, and I've kind of got reintroduced. The opening story in the book is how about seven years ago, I was the answer to a clue in the New York Times crossword puzzle. It That's was awesome. uh, author A.J. Blank. Mm -hmm. And I, as a word nerd, I was like, this is the best day of my life. You know, my <laughs> marriage was fine, but this is like the ultimate. Yeah, and then yeah. my brother-in-law sent me an email and he pointed out, he did congratulate me. I should get that out there. But then he pointed out it was the Saturday puzzle, which as you know, is the hardest puzzle of the week, harder than Sunday. Yep. And all the answers are totally obscure. You're not supposed to know the answers. <laughs> so his point was, this is not a compliment. This is like black and white proof that you are a nobody. <laughs> right. I, I guess also when you think about all the clues they could have picked for Jacobs, right? Oh, yeah. There are lots more famous, like Jane Jacobs. That would have been like a Tuesday clue. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> AJ Jacobs is Saturday. Yeah. That killed my buzz. But the twist, the happy ending is I told that story on a podcast, and it happened that one of the New York Times crossword constructors was listening, mm -hmm. and you might know him, Peter Gordon, quite a character. Oh, yeah, I know the name, yeah. He decided to save me, and he put me in a Tuesday puzzle where I don't belong. <laughs> and he was very clear I didn't belong in it. And he's like, yeah, I had to make the crossing clues extremely easy, like TV guide crossword <laughs> puzzle easy, because you do not belong. Was it the same clue for your name, AJ Blank, or...? Well, actually, it was more complicated than that. He decided to make it the theme of the Tuesday puzzle was my quote, where I said, I'll oh. basically be a loser <laughs> or a five-letter word starting with L-O-S, ending with E-R, something like that, <laughs> until I'm in a Monday or Tuesday crossword. And that uh -huh. was the quote that ran throughout the crossword. <laughs> oh my God. And it was the weirdest experience because I was at that point doing them every night right when they came out, 10.01 uh -huh. p.m. Yep. So I went on and I started doing it. And I was sitting next to my son and I said, Something very weird is happening. Someone is playing a prank on me. And you had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. And I thought someone had really hacked my computer and put in this fake crossword to make fun of me. And then I got an email from a friend like, have you seen the New York Times crossword? And I'm like, oh my God. And I was so freaked out. 
And this is a Tuesday, so I'm not great, but I'm decent. You know, I can do that in 10 or 15 minutes. It took me like an hour and a half because I was so freaked out and I couldn't even remember what I said, but it was awesome. It was also awesome. So I'm very happy it happened. I mean, talk about like a life goal to be a clue in in the New York Times puzzle. Like that's not once. I I would lose my mind, but twice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know it was huge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've never been a Jeopardy clue. I don't think I will, but uh, <laughs> I was very happy. Yeah. We had Deb Amlin on oh, a couple months I back. I didn't hear that. I'm going to listen to that. She was great. She was a lot of fun. When the Times is streaming their crossword solves, I did oh, one yeah. co-solve with her on a stream and it was such a great time. We really hit it off and then had her on the show. I was thinking like that would be fun to do, but also stressful. What if you hit a bump? How was your experience? Well, so she asked me, she was like, okay, when we connected over email, she's like, okay, here are your options. You can do like a Monday or a Thursday or maybe even a Saturday. And look, I do the puzzle very regularly, regularly enough to know that there's a pretty decent chance I'm just going to stall out on a Saturday. And I was not ready to take that ego hit. (laughs) You know, so I was like, you know what? Oh, because it's better for my audience who are not all puzzlers. Let's do the Monday because that'll bring more people in. But really, the reason was I knew I could finish that puzzle. Yeah, you can visibly crush that one. Yes. Layton and I, you know, when we do puzzles, we'll do a Friday or Saturday, right? Occasionally. Yes. But if the episode like feels too short for our runtime, we'll like jump into a Monday or Tuesday and be like, all right, can we get this whole thing in under five minutes or whatever. (laughs) Right, right. Usually we can, to our credit. That is nice. I mean, I went to the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament about a month ago. And yeah, I did so badly. My spin is, like you, Brian, my spin is that uh, I like to savor them. I'm not a chugger. (laughs) I like to sip and really get the flavor. Something I find really interesting, I don't know if you talk about this in the book at all, but is how much the, specifically, the New York Times puzzle has changed even over the last two or three years in terms of the types of clues and, you know, the accessibility and diversity of references and stuff like that. I mean, it is a far cry from the comb form type clue, you know, of the, let's say, 80s and probably before that, which was this very, like, kind of obscure, felt like almost Ivy League kind of vibe to what feels like a more, in a good way, populist sort of puzzle. Yeah, no, it was really interesting to research because, as you probably know, there was this movement. There were 600 crossword setters who wrote a petition to the Times saying, you got to diversify both in the clues themselves, so it's not all you know, uh, German opera and in the people who write it and edit them. Right. And I do think to the Times credit, I'm sure they could do more. For sure. But they did hire a couple of women of color to be editors, and they do seem to have more clues that are from a wider range. Yeah. Which is great. It's definitely moving in the right direction. Certainly it could go farther in that direction, but I think it's at least a great first step towards, uh, a more diverse, you know, type of crossword. And I notice also in some of the, are you a member of the uh, American Values Club crosswords at all? Do you solve those ever? I don't, but I've heard great things. Yeah, they have a really nice slate of constructors there. And they're those puzzles. They feel even more accessible to a wider range of people than the Times. I really like their puzzles. And they, I mean, there's a huge number of 
constructors of various different types. Well, one constructor I like talking to, I interviewed Nate Carden. Oh, I love him. Yeah, he's great. So he started queer crosswords. Yes. You know, um, LGBTQ plus themed crosswords. And yeah. he had stopped doing the Times one, but I emailed him when I saw a clue and I'm going to bungle it, but it was something along the lines of possible labeling for uh, monogrammed towels. Mm -hmm. And the answer was his and his instead of his and hers. Uh And I emailed that to him and he wrote a very emotional email back about how much this meant to him. And so it was very sweet. I just did one of his cryptics from the American Values Club that I was really impressed with. He's a great constructor. I I have never met or interacted with him personally. I follow him on Twitter, but I love his puzzles. I think he's great. I've actually, I've mentioned him on the show before for sure, but that's wonderful. So what's interesting to me too is how, at least for me, this, like the crosswords to Games Magazine, which has a wide selection of what you typically call variety puzzles, and then into the mystery, it's this broadening of the concept of a puzzle, which now when I think of the puzzle community, I typically don't think of crossword solvers, although that is definitely probably the biggest part of it. But I think of like the mystery hunt people. Now I've talked about this on the show, but just to fill people in, the mystery hunt is this annual event at MIT. There are versions of this kind of all over the country slash world. And the type of puzzle is you look at it and you have no idea what to do. So understanding how to process and filter the information into usually a word or phrase answer is entirely the point. And in fact, the joy of that is people figuring out new puzzle types and coming up with new types of things so that even for experienced solvers, when you look at it, you're like, what What am I supposed to do with it? What? It's just a bunch of colors? What? Huh? You know? Yeah, they are crazy. Like the puzzles will be something like, here are some knitting instructions where it'll be like. I remember that one. One that I wasn't, this was a couple of years ago, so I only heard about it. And maybe you remember, you got a diaper filled with fudge. And there were like clues hidden in the fudge. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Magical. Yeah. That cracked me up. I'm glad I wasn't there, to be honest. (laughs) But yeah, they are just wild. And as I'm sure you've talked about, these teams are like 50 people. uh, Oh, my God. Because you need someone who's an astrophysicist and someone who, you know, knows all of Justin Bieber's tour dates. Yep. You have to connect so many different weird knowledge bases to solve some of these. Yeah. Have you done it once or multiple times? I only did it once. I did it the last one that was in person, I think, unless they had did it in person it this year. Three it years was virtual. Ago. But it was, yeah, yeah, 2019, I think, or maybe 2020. It would have been January 2020, yeah. Yeah. And it was the one, it was famous because the opening sketch, they always have an opening sketch, and the opening <laughs> sketch this time was a wedding, but yep. a real wedding, like an actual yeah legally binding wedding. And it was a very puzzly wedding because they had the vows were things like, I can can promise you not to double acrostic you and you will always amaze me. And it was sort of like half awes and half groans in the audience. Yeah. It's adorable. (laughs) Yeah. I, I was in the room for that. You know, I always go in person when they do it in person. And it was definitely up there in terms of the more memorable Openings. I mean, I remember back when I first started, they would do it in Lobby 7 
of MIT, which is, for those of you who don't know, you walk in off Mass Ave and it's this giant lobby and there were just people surrounding all, it's got multiple levels looking at in this big kind of open atrium. And, you know, you could never hear anything anyone was saying because it's the, the, the bounciest room you could possibly imagine. It's just, you know, stone walls or whatever. And the entire hunt was trying to figure out what the hell was going on. And then a bunch of people would all crowd. It was a complete nightmare. And there was always like, yeah, the groan inducing puns. And I say this with love, very poor acting, <laughs> you know, cause it's not actors and other puzzlers. Um, and then they moved it to the Kresge auditorium, you know, a big, big auditorium where, where the one you're talking about was. And suddenly like you could actually understand the things people were saying because they were in a room with the sound system. So the acting and the puns didn't change. But at least the audio got <laughs> worlds better. You could hear the bad puns in higher quality. Yes. You could definitely That's know right. why you were groaning. It, it, it's very much like being at a fan convention in terms of like the energy in the room and the kind of people that puzzling attracts are the same type of people that might come to like a big fan expo sort of thing. Yeah. And now it's like I get to see friends I see once a year at this thing, including Pliska. Who, who did the puzzles, right? Well, that's what yeah. I do love about puzzles. You know, I am blatantly pro-puzzle, but the communities that sprout up. I mean, I, for instance, as part of the book, I was never into jigsaw puzzles. I want to hear your thoughts on jigsaw puzzles. Mm -hmm. I was snobby. I kind of saw them as like the Larry the Cable Guy of puzzles, like, just, <laughs> you know, not very sophisticated. But I'm uh -huh. a convert. I am definitely, I think I've seen the error of my ways. But anyway, I bring it up because I went as part of my book on it. I represented the United States of America in the World Jigsaw Puzzle Championship oh my God. in oh my Spain, goodness. which was wow. crazy. And we were terrible. We were an embarrassment <laughs> to our country. And I apologize. We came in second to last. But I brought it up because it reminded me of the community. Like these people who spend hours every day practicing. I mean, it was just lovely to see during the tournament. They hated each other. But as soon as it was over, <laughs> you know, the Turkish team was right next to us and we got women in hijabs. But I think they were jigsaw patterns on their hijabs. Oh, uh -huh. that's so great. That's so cute. And they gave us Turkish flag jigsaw. It combined the jigsaw oh, and the Turkish so flag and they were cookies and they were delicious. Anyway, it was just a lovely event for these people who that's awesome. have spent a large percentage of their lives pursuing this seemingly ridiculous skill. But yeah. listen, I love it. It was like seeing the LeBron James. <laughs> if you see the LeBron James of anything, I think it's exciting. Yes. And, you know, it is, despite the cultural differences, nerds are nerds, right? And, <laughs> so true. You know, anywhere in the world is going to have someone who kind of has this sort of analytical and somewhat obsessive mind who might come from, you know, whatever background and cultural history you, you come from. But that type of brain is omnipresent. That's such a good point. I'm sure I had much more in common with these people from... Uganda and, and Turkey than I do with an American who, you know, loves NASCAR. Nothing wrong right. with NASCAR. I just no. don't get it. So, yep. you know, it's it's just yeah. something that doesn't appeal to me. I feel like the obsessive, like, curiosity sort of puzzle brain, I mean, it's the nerd thing of being very passionate about things that a bunch of other people wouldn't care about. That's like my favorite quality in other people. Nerds are great. <laughs> we continue to uh, get a bad rep, but... 
we kind of yeah. deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> the cultural background thing reminds me once, I don't know if I ever told this story on the show. I was lecturing in Cairo right after the revolution. So mm -hmm. I was staying in Tahrir Square, actually doing a kind of workshop on storytelling and science at the local university. And I got interviewed on TV. And I know you've seen this clip, Layton. I show up for this interview. They were like, oh, it, don't worry, it'll be in English. And I show up and suddenly everyone's speaking Arabic and I have no idea what's going on. But <laughs> the thing that has stuck out to me about this is the interviewer, he asked me, what do you think of Egyptian science fiction? Hmm. And I was like, well, I have to admit, I don't really know what it is. Can you tell me something about it? And this guy goes, well, we noticed that like American science fiction is all about going to space and things like that. And in Egypt, our science fiction is about like having enough water. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and it's like agricultural advances and things uh. like that. That's their like speculative fiction type stuff. So essentially he was asking me like, why are you guys so obsessed with space when there's like much more interesting- Real problems. Yeah. Yeah. That would be an awesome future to have. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is, that's exciting. Wait, yeah. can I ask you a science question? Right. Yeah. And Leighton, uh, uh, you can weigh into- <laughs> Here for the ride. Is there a way out of the heat death of the universe or is that it? Like, can we stop the second law of thermodynamics? Because that makes a big difference to me. I mean, personally, I don't think so. You know, there's different ideas about what the end of the universe might look like, but I think that's the way it's, it's that's going. That's it. Yeah. Right. I think everything gets ripped apart and that's kind of what it is. Sounds fun and sexy. The inevitable yeah. <laughs> hot, hot heat death of the universe. <laughs> Well, no, it's cold. It runs yeah, out that's, of heat. That's, that's the, problem. the problem. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll sexualize the void. But it's so cold, it's hot. <laughs> it's very yes. sexy. Have you read, Katie Mack has a book called The End of Everything, uh, which mm, is about no. basically the different ways the universe might end. Came out about two years ago. So she is an astrophysicist and science communicator. So I, I saw her give a talk on this at a conference a few years back when she was just kind of developing the book. It, it's kind of the stuff you learn in basic cosmology, but a lot of it is not, you know, kind of well-known by the public. And she has this really nice book on how do we think the universe is going to end? And here are the options. And there's no, there's no like 1%, 0.01%. There are other ways it could go, but it doesn't look like it's going those ways right now. So another way, by the way, okay, so here's another thing that could happen that seems unlikely, but is possible. It could be that we are living in a, what's called a metastable vacuum state of the universe. So what this means is that so physics is obsessed with everything getting to the lowest energy states. This is literally why when you take something and you let go, it falls because mm -hmm. it's lowering its gravitational energy. That's what falling really is from a kind of more abstract point of view. So if there is another vacuum state out there, which is lower energy than ours, the universe will want to go to that state. And so hmm. what might happen is, so when people talk about a multiverse, the word multiverse can mean like a billion different things. And of course, now pop culture is like obsessed with multiverses. So I'm not talking about that pop culture-y kind of multiverse, although some people do mean that. But there might be a variety of different vacuum states of the universe, which consist of kind of different vacuum energies. And so if there's another one out there, and let's say a little part of our vacuum 
quantum tunnels, there's a little like it, it kind of finds its way into a, a lower vacuum state, then what's going to happen is that's going to start expanding at a very fast rate. So that we would never see it coming. And essentially, as soon as it collides with a bubble of our, like our regular vacuum, it just eats it up and the whole universe collapses and falls into that state. So another option for the end of our universe is there's this <laughs> expanding bubble of nothingness at a lower energy state that is just eating everything up. And one day it'll get here and we'll all just vanish. Sounds tight. That doesn't make me feel better. Layton, <laughs> I love your optimism. I love that you're able to see the positive. It's all going to stop for all of us at some point or another. So I like, I'm going to try to adopt your point of view. I accept it. Have you guys talked about everything everywhere all at once on the show? I haven't heard you talk about it. We haven't because I haven't seen it yet. I really yeah. want to see it. Yeah, I've had a ton of people recommend it highly. I have not seen it yet. Yeah, I feel that, and I may look back in five years and be totally embarrassed by this, but halfway through this movie, I looked at my son and I was like, if this doesn't end with like an endorsement of puppy killing and white supremacy, this is going to be one of my top three movies ever. And it didn't. <laughs> it didn't end that way. And yeah. I just love it. That's like essentially what I keep hearing from people, not the puppy yes. killing, et cetera, but that, you know, it's immediately <laughs> like up there for favorites. I'm, I'm really glad to hear it and I'm stoked to see it. I keep meaning to find time and I just haven't yet. There's no agriculture, though. It doesn't. Okay. <laughs> the Egyptians might not like it. Well, then what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> the thing about the bubble of nothing. So when I was taking cosmology classes in grad school, I remember falling into kind of a deep depression in the middle of the semester, just kind of looking up in the sky and being like depressed by the vastness of it. Like you think the universe is big and then you study the universe and then you realize how big it actually is and how insignificant we are. And the bubble of nothingness is this basic like precept that you shouldn't stress about things you can't change, right? Because what's the point? Yeah. A lesson my brain has never, ever learned, by the way. <laughs> but this possible expanding bubble of nothingness that might someday just annihilate us without any warning kind of makes me feel better because that's the ultimate example of like, something we can't change, we can't even know about it before it gets here, and there's nothing we can do. So, wow, that's nice. That does make me feel a little better. It frees you of the responsibility. It's just like everything is huge. All of this is small potatoes, right. like literally the smallest possible, like microscopic potatoes. There's other cool stuff happening it's been happening for a very long time and will continue to happen until that happens. And then who knows what happens? Lots of happening. Yeah. And it also makes me think like if I'm watching a really bad movie or I'm in an awkward conversation, I can be like, you know what? The bubble, the bubble <laughs> the might bubble. just come any second. <laughs> the bubble's coming. And it's like, I guess it's sort of a secular rapture. <laughs> yes. If you look for theoretical physics papers, they're usually called bubbles of nothing. You'll see people talk about these. And here's, here's the other thing that's really interesting is it's possible that there's not just one other lower vacuum out there. It's possible there's a whole set of these, possibly huh. a very large set. So what the multiverse might be is just regions of the universe that are constantly quantum tunneling into a lower region, which then expands, which then goes into something else. And so when people in my you know, type of physics talk about the multiverse. This is what they're really talking about is all these different vacuum states of the universe, which are kind of constantly starting and then 
inflating and expanding and that goes on and on and on and on and this is happening which is not nearly as fun as the multiverses where like i have hot dogs for hands <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> yes well that's interesting all right i love i it. saw some press release recently so rule of thumb never take theoretical physics press releases seriously because nothing in theoretical physics is usually that important that it warrants a press release. <laughs> Usually it's just some university PR team that's decided to push something out. But I did see some press release recently where I guess this isn't theory, it would be experiment, but they said the expansion rate of the universe is for a long time it was speeding up. They said there's some evidence that it's slowing down. I don't really believe that since that would be a huge change from what we currently understand. But if that's true, then we can start thinking about what that means for the future of the universe. Because everything so far that we've seen indicates that not only is the universe expanding, but the rate of that expansion is increasing, which is the opposite of what you'd expect because everything should be attracting each other gravitationally. So if that's slowing down, that kind of changes the game a bit too. Right. In high school, I learned the possibility right. of the bouncing. It goes out and then it comes back in. And then it goes out yeah. again. Your question reminds me, there is that famous Let There Be Light short story. Have you ever read that? No. God, I, I'm going to completely butcher this, but it is the story of some race's quest to reverse entropy. Oh, yeah. See, that's what we need. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, they go through, I don't think it's humans, it's some other race out there in the universe, although I may be wrong about this, you know, they start organically and then they become AI and then they develop a supercomputer, blah, blah, blah. And the supercomputer finds a way to reverse entropy and then it implements that. And the final words of the story are, let there be light mm -hmm. because this is then the beginning of the new universe. Oh, all right. It's Isaac Asimov's The Last Question Okay, is what you're referring to. Probably from the 50s or something. I remember my first book, I read the encyclopedia from A to Z, and I remember... Well, I remember that, yeah. Asimov was up there in the A's, and I remember it said he wrote about more than 500 books. No one knows. It's like a mystery. Oh no one can count that high of how many books he wrote, because <laughs> they just <laughs> wrote so many. There are probably some we don't even know about. I will always remember my first Asimov. I only read my first Asimov as, a, as an adult. And I was like, wow, I hate this writing. Like the ideas <laughs> are cool, but the writing is so bad that I, I, I was like, is this what people like? Where is the point where it's breaking down? Is it like at the prose level? Is it too like dry? It just or? felt very clunky. Yeah. And look, I haven't read that much. I also understand maybe he wasn't the nicest guy in the world. Look, I don't want to cast aspersions on him. On a dead guy? Look, all I know and this is literally all I know, is I had a chemistry teacher in high school that he was her idol and she met him at some thing and he was really nasty to her. Really? And so Ugh. that has colored my opinion of this guy ever since. But yeah, I just remember being like, wow, these are cool ideas, but this writing is so clunky. Well, yeah, because he wrote it in like half an hour. Like he had to get <laughs> on to the next book. Yeah, that's right. I do like to think about the art versus the artist problem because Roald yeah. Dahl, apparently huge asshole. Huge anti-Semite, yeah. right? Yeah, anti-Semite. Yep. I'm sure he was racist. I'm not sure, but he probably was. Seems, seems likely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Oompa Loompas, oh. that doesn't come off well nowadays. But I no. love his books, despite him being a horrible person. So Yeah. Even in those books, and I, I think I did pick up on this in a child, there's something in those books that's like, Man, this is going to be a hot take. It reminds me a lot of 
Frank Zappa. There's like this bitter core <laughs> there that you can kind of sense from the outside. It's like, yeah, I like this, but there's something kind of rotten at the center here <laughs> that feels just like a little bit off. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Zappa's music. The lyrics always strike me as like, ooh, I, uh, I, I can't really get on board with this. So it's not like he's a teddy bear inside. It's like he's tough on the outside, then the teddy bear, and then just the rock, like the, you know, yeah, the black yeah, yeah. hole inside the teddy bear. I get so frustrated when people start to talk about this topic because it always comes down to people either coming on, you must separate the art from the artist, or like, no, they're the same. And it's like, it's not a fucking binary. No. It. And it is so incredibly and reductive. It's a and choice. also missing out on like the critical thinking on both sides of it. Like the art is the artist, yes, in a way, but also like, you know, there are ways to consume content by people who suck and like still engage with it. I think completely cutting that off is like, well, I don't need to engage with any ideas or anything. Like I can only consume content that is perfectly morally pure because obviously everything that happens in fiction is a direct reflection of reality. And I must only only consume the things that make me comfortable and that I agree with. Please don't tweet at me about what I just said. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. I agree. I am very much a dimmer versus an on-off switch. Like most of life is a dimmer and it is not a binary. That's a great way to put it. Thanks. Yeah. I love that. I was just saying, I think we should put this question to social media because I'm sure people will have a, <laughs> oh, yeah. a nice and measured response So nuanced and calm and thought out. Yeah. Yeah. Here was another hot take on it, which I'm going to, again, outsource this because it was a woman I met when I gave a talk and the Louis C.K. scandal had just come down a couple months before. And I was giving a talk on gratitude and she brought up the Louis C.K. bit where he's on a plane and they announced that the Wi-Fi on the plane won't be working. And the guy next to him is like, oh, assholes. He's all pissed off. And Louis C.K. is like, you're on a plane. You're sitting in a metal can going across the country, yeah, yeah. which is a great point. She brought it up. And I was like, oh, it's Louis C.K. And she said, well, I don't want to give him the power of taking away my happiness from that thought. Like he put it out there, but it's a thought and I'm not going to let his bad behavior take it away. So that was an interesting take. I don't know what to make of it. But it was one I'd not heard. Yeah. To me, it all just comes down to personal choice and what yeah. people are comfortable with and everyone's going to have a different idea about what's right for them. And when you start dictating how other people should make that personal choice and perhaps make moral judgments on their character based on their own personal choice, that's where it's not fun. Yeah. But that goes for literally totally. anything once you start dictating what other people need to be doing or how they should be feeling or thinking, which is silly. Yeah, I agree. You have your one brain. You use your one brain. You interact with other people who have brains, but your brain is special and it's yours. And other people's yeah. brain is special and it's theirs. So I completely agree with that, by the way, Layton. The social media thing, I'm curious, AJ, so given what you do, what is your relationship with social media and what it does, like how you exist on it, how you feel comfortable on it, what it does for your career. Do you feel, for example, like you have to be on social media in order to promote your stuff? Or I kind of do. I mean, not? that is yeah. sort of what publishers are always telling you. I have a very mixed relationship. Some parts I hate and some parts I love. I will say one thing, there's another A.J. Jacobs who is a oh, really? rugby referee in the South Africa. 
And uh-huh. <laughs> apparently he makes some very bad calls because I will get like every couple of weeks, you fucking asshole. <laughs> that was not yeah. a red card. And I'm like, listen, I'm sorry. I'm not that. I'm not that guy. Uh-huh. That's when you start responding in character. Oh, like, you're right. I should totally do it. that. Yeah, yeah. I should be like, yeah, it was a red card. I would give him a purple card, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a great idea. Just keep making up rugby rules. <laughs> There's another Matt Gates on Twitter who is constantly getting screamed at and he's like, wrong, no, not me. I'm not that asshole, you know? Uh, and it's so easy, yeah, to mistake someone for someone else. Yeah. Uh, but I would say also, I mean, I feel that if I... If I just scroll and read, I get depressed and want to yes, want to die. Absolutely. But if I actually put out something, I try not to do the hot takes. I try to do the oh, cold never, or no. lukewarm at best takes. So I don't get a lot of hate, thankfully. If I am tweeting or Facebooking or whatever it is, if I'm doing it as a net positive, it, overall the good outweighs the bad. If I'm not, if I'm just reading it, that's a disaster. Yeah, I completely agree. I try to be very careful to say things only I know I can back up. And if I'm going to post an opinion, I want to be able to be like, yeah, I can like back this up with facts. My number one rule is no dunking. I'm not going to dunk on anybody because yeah. right. I feel like that lowers the level of discourse and I don't want to get involved at all. And then also you interrogate, what are my reasons for potentially wanting to dunk on somebody? And I feel like for most times that happens, if you interrogate that thought enough, this is a you problem. (laughs) This is like a deep you problem that you are like, okay, yes, I can feel better if I do this and claim moral righteousness. If I have a real problem with somebody, someone really did something awful to me, unless I feel like that would get ignored, there's no reason to go public with that. And there are lots of good reasons to go public with accusations of misconduct, et cetera, et cetera, of course. But generally, if someone does something kind of uncool, my first instinct is going to be talk to them one-on-one, email or something like that, and let's try to hash this out before we start screaming at each other in a public. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like, for instance, Kim Kardashian, I don't think is a force for good in the world, but I'm not (laughs) going to tweet about her But I did tweet about her once, which was when she Mm -hmm. said that she failed the baby law, baby bar, like the intermediary law exam. She's trying Mm -hmm. to be a lawyer and she failed and she was very open about failing. And I like, that's so awesome. We all have to be more open about our failures. Yes. So I wrote, you know, I don't usually tweet about Kim Kardashian, but I just want to say I really respect her for embracing her failure like we all should. So that mm-hmm. was my only Kim Kardashian tweet and until she <laughs> fails something else and embraces it. Yeah. yeah, that's a good attitude to have. I do want to move on to segments in a second here, but we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the online puzzle hunt that's a part of your book. So I've talked about it on the show, but there is this amazing, you know, online puzzle hunt masterminded by Greg Pliska and a few other writers. But Greg is kind of the main person in charge, right? Yeah, but they all are super involved. They're brilliant. And Brian, thank you for being a uh, test solver, as they call it. Oh, yeah. It was my pleasure. It's that feeling of like, oh, my God, I get access to these amazing puzzles first. Like, I kept refreshing the site to see, is there a new puzzle to, to look at today? And it was so exciting to be in the inner circle of 
of that. So thank you for for having me be a part of it. Oh, my pleasure. I'll just tell like the 90 second version of the puzzler hunt for those who aren't familiar. Basically, I wrote this book about puzzles. And one of the books I loved as a kid was called Masquerade. And it was this book that came out and it had these crazy illustrations, but they included clues to a buried treasure, like a real golden Mm -hmm. buried treasure, this golden rabbit. And it caused a craze, a frenzy. People were like digging up gardens. In England. It was all in England. Oh yeah, it was in England. Yeah, yeah. And threatening the author. So I was like, that sounds fun. Uh, So I decided (laughs) to do that in my book. Uh, I didn't bury anything. So I took $10,000 of my book advance thinking maybe it'll be a loss leader. Probably it'll just be a loss. But anyway, we embedded a secret code in the introduction to the book which is available online for free. No purchase necessary. You have to do that or else it's an illegal lottery. So uh, (laughs) you go to the intro, you find the secret code, you put that into the website, thepuzzlerbook.com, and then it opens up into this amazing, wild puzzle hunt written by Greg and his friends. So dozens of puzzles that are just twisty, mind-bending, crazy. So they'll be like crosswords, but they'll be crosswords with a huge twist. They're super fun. And that's throughout all of May and into the early part of June. So there's still time to join. Yep. And I think it, even if you don't win the 10,000, like these puzzles are like free entertainment. They're awesome. Absolutely. And they're very accessible. I mean, that's not to say some of them aren't quite difficult, but Greg and his team really made a point of making this available and accessible to not just puzzle experts. So in seeing these, I mean, some of them were just like, I was like, oh yeah, here's what you do. Bam, got it. Easy. And some of them still, (laughs) when test solving, I was like, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. Oh yeah, no. Do them with friends and split the money because they can be challenging. (laughs) Yeah. They're really, really fun. And the quality is just so high. Like I'm such a snob when it comes to these things. You know, I am definitely at least internally, probably not publicly, very judgmental about like, yeah, that wasn't a very elegant solution. Didn't really like this one that much. Every one of these to a puzzle, I'm just like, (laughs) whoa, that's just like, bam. You know, there's this thing with this kind of puzzle where there's several steps often, and it's always a bad sign to me if you get to the last step and then it's just like, hey, anagram the letters and you'll get the answer. Mm. Right. right. This is to me a hallmark of like a poorly designed puzzle, which is like puzzles that I've designed, basically. <laughs> and oh, me too. <laughs> but what's great about these puzzles, and this is something that at least among the mystery hunt crowd, people are very aware of. It's like even if you don't get it at the time, you can always look back at it and say, "Oh yeah, that step made sense, then that made sense, and oh, I missed that, but that made sense." There's kind of a, a clear line from A to B to C to D that you get sometimes each step of which involves what you call an aha moment, right? I mean, this is literally the best feeling is when you're looking at it and you're just staring at this information. You're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? It's a bunch of squiggles on a page. I have no idea. And then you walk away, you come back, you stare at it, you flip it upside down, you go to a different room, you get drunk, whatever. And then you suddenly see, wait a minute, what if I try this? And then it just clicks. It's incredible. And that is the joy of these puzzles. And and this particular set of puzzles, really, it just has it. And there were so many. There were a couple on on my 
notes for the test solving. I was like, guys, this is incredible. <laughs> you know, I, I absolutely love this. So fun. You know, I thought about it for three days and then finally got it. It's just the best. And oh. I, I don't know anything else like these puzzles where you can be in the middle of it. Maybe writing, actually. Writing feels like it might be a parallel. You're in the middle of it and you're like, this sucks. I hate this. <laughs> And then you get to the yes. end, you're like, yes, bam, mm-hmm. did it. And you get these endorphins that kind of kick in, which make the suffering completely worthwhile. <laughs> yes. Agree. It creates a total addiction on that front where it's just like, I am shit. This fucking yeah. sucks. And then you read it the next day and you're like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And then back to the self-loathing. <laughs> I forget which book it was in. Might have been just an essay, but there's this William Burroughs thing on, he wrote about what every drug he took does to your brain. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, this is cocaine and this is heroin and this is blah, 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 blah. Now I've never taken any of these drugs. The hardest thing I've ever done is marijuana and as documented on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but what I remember from his description of cocaine is it sets your brain into the most pleasurable mode, which is seeking. Mm. And when your brain is focused on seeking something, that's when you're like, it's that flow state where you're firing on all cylinders. And whenever I am in the middle of solving a puzzle, I think, oh, this is what Burroughs meant when he was talking about cocaine. (laughs) Like my brain is clicking into that seeking mode. And that's the closest I'm ever going to get to the the feeling of doing cocaine. It is probably better for you doing puzzles. (laughs) I don't know how much I trust like pop neuroscience, but they will tell you that it is that dopamine that you get from sex, chocolate, cocaine, and puzzles. Puzzles, Yep. when you get that answer, you get that uh, almost orgasmic feel. So I'm all for it. You know, they talk about flow state a lot. I know this is a pop psychology thing where you're so focused on something that time just disappears. Yeah. That to me happens in three different types of things. One is writing music. Right. Another was when I was doing a long calculation when I was a physicist. Mm. And the third is solving puzzles. Interesting. And you just like, you're in it. You could look up and suddenly you're like, whoa, two hours. Oh, shit. Man, I wish I had that feeling with long calculations. I never got the dopamine <laughs> from doing math. Oh, dude, it's so great. Like when you're in the middle of a really awesome calculation, and I'm really not exaggerating here, you're just following the steps and you're like, oh, well, they, okay, then I got to do this. And sometimes you have these equations that are like many lines long and you're reorganizing things and you're, I mean, you really are solving a puzzle. Well, it sounds awesome when you say it, but then when I try it. (laughs) It's not for everybody. All right. So let's move on to segments. Absolutely. Our first segment is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where you get to talk about a book or a movie, video game, piece of music, whatever you're into these days. The segment is called What's Poppin'? The theme song goes here, which we add in post. What's Poppin'? What's poppin'? <laughs> there it is. Beautiful. And yes, Layton, sorry, you reacted to that? No, I was just laughing because I'm happy. Okay, that's great. <laughs> I'm happy too. I love I love it when you're happy. Uh, so Layton, what's poppin'? What's poppin' for me is, I'll, I'll do the build up to this. So as we'll mention in a peach, most likely, 
I was around you the other day while you were wearing your Museum of Jurassic Technology shirt with the, what is it? No one may ever know this knowledge again. Uh, we may never have this knowledge again, something like that, I think. Yeah, letters to the Mount Wilson Observatory. And yep. so I went on the Museum of Jurassic Technology website to purchase some merch and then talked myself down from it because I don't need more shirts. <laughs> yep. But then was just like, I'm going to look into this more. Turns out there's a Pulitzer-nominated book about the history and story behind the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Mm. Uh, and so what's popping for me is Mr. Wilson's Cabinet of Wonder by Lawrence Weschler probably saying that wrong, but it has been everything that I would have wanted a book about the Museum of Jurassic Technology to be. The story behind it is fascinating. Well, do you want to tell people what, for people who don't know what the Museum of Jurassic Technology is? <laughs> I'm realizing is. it needs context. I was, yeah, yes. I was almost too embarrassed <laughs> to ask. No, it's fine. I totally talked about that. I love the place so much. And when people yes, come to too. Los Angeles and they're like, number one destination, what should I do? It is always the first thing I recommend. And I me think- too. I had multiple people say the same thing to me of just like, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. You just have to go and I want you to contact me after you go. Mm -hmm. But it's a little tiny storefront in Culver City. Uh, and the words truly do fail you. The book does this too, where it's just like, what is this place? Brian, how would you describe it? Because I usually go for, it's like a parody of museums, but that yeah, really so does not do it justice. What I think about it as is a, it's basically, it's kind of an art exhibit, which is an homage to the old school house museums of like the 18th and 19th centuries, where yeah. you honestly can't tell what is real. Huh. Yes. So everything is presented as if it is a totally real, legitimate thing that makes a lot of sense. Very likely- some of this is real. Definitely some of it is completely made up and you're just thrown completely off kilter, but everything is played 100% straight. There's not even a nod. There is not a single trace of irony. Interesting. Nope. The guy who runs it not ever breaks kayfabe <laughs> like he is 100%. Nope, that's right. Always on it. Always on. Yep. And in reading the book, you find out this guy who like spends a lot of time with him and who did the research of trying to track down all of these things of like the information in there that is true is so ridiculously obscure. Like <laughs> this guy has to jump through a million hoops to find like the true basis of the thing where it's like some old book that there's like very few prints of. It is fascinating. I can't wait to go there again with all of this in mind, knowing the backstory of a oh, lot of yeah. the things. But in terms of like exhibits that are there, it's very dark and small. I always recommend dim. to fellow yeah, weirdos, if you're in weird. Los Angeles <laughs> and you're going on a date, go there. Yes. Go do it. Amazing date. It's dark, like funny, intimate. And then also if they're not into it, just break up with them and go home. You know? <laughs> That's a hundred, yes. <laughs> it is one of those things where it's like, if you hate this, I don't like you kind of <laughs> thing. There's a room that's dedicated to the Soviet dogs that went to space. Yep. It's all like big oil paintings of these dogs. Yeah. So it's like Laika is front and center, you know. <laughs> There's a Proust quote, and then behind the glass is a plate of Madeleines. And then it's the quote about the smell of the Madeleines that kicks off uh, right. Remembrance of Things Past. And then there's like two tubes that connect to the Madeleines, which you could put your nostrils on and you're supposed to be able to inhale the odor of the Madelines. That is hilarious. All right, I'm in. I'm sold. Yeah, absolutely the best place in LA. There's like the elaborate like memory 
planes demonstration and yes. like this guy's like idea of how memory worked. It's like a cone and then planes of experience yep. move the through Athanasius it. Kirshner. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I won't say whether or not that one is real, yeah. but it lives in that liminal space. So it functions there so great. And it's just full of like gags and surprises and it's just the best. So for a while, I think I still have this, they have an exhibit called The Decaying Dice of Ricky Jay, yeah. who, oh, yeah. like, if you don't know Ricky Jay, just I absolutely the best. Uh, and these are like, it's rotting dice with Ricky Jay's, like, explanations of where he used these and how they started to disintegrate. And of course, <laughs> this is not a thing that happens, but anyway. Yeah, but that is in the book. I think the book is maybe, like, early 2000s, 90s or whatever. I'm not done yeah. with it yet, but it's just been magical, utterly magical. So if you ever, ever find yourself in LA and I hammer this every time, it's like, do not go to Hollywood. Do not go to Hollywood. Do not go to Hollywood and then go back to wherever you're from and be like, LA is disgusting. Yes, it is. But go (laughs) see the cooler parts that are disgusting. That's right. Like Culver City. (laughs) Yep. Oh, wait, what's the name of the book? I'm writing it down. Mr. Wilson's Cabinet of Wonder by Lawrence Weschler. Love it. And it goes through the history of like the 18th, 19th century, like how museum collections grew and sort of like how that connects to sort of the storytelling of the museum. Like you actually get really cool history out of it as well, which I like. In the letters to the Mount Wilson Observatory, there's some letter which is like addressed to Einstein from like the you know early 20th century where this guy is like, hell yeah, we Jews know what's up. That's right. <laughs> you know, we figured out the universe, bitch. Whoa. It's so funny. I, I love it. It's so great. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, AJ, what's popping for you? Let me give you two. One real quick. I'm watching the show Upload. Have you seen it? Oh, it's the Mike Judge one, right? I haven't seen it. Wait, is it Mike Judge or Greg Daniels? It is Greg Daniels, yes. Yeah, the office creator. Yes. But it's delightful. I love it. It's sort of semi-sci-fi, and it's about, in the future, you can upload your mind into these heavens where Mm -hmm. they're totally fictional. You feel like you're there, but it's really just digital avatar. And the heaven, they're different. They're competing heavens. So you can go to like an extreme heaven where you're like, you know, doing um, bungee jumping or the heaven that the main character is at is sort of like a New England town. And it's like, you know, just fall foliage all the time. But what I love is it's very funny satire of online because heaven comes with in-app purchases. You reach for this, you know, maple bacon donut and it says, bloop, that requires, you know, $5 in-app purchase. (laughs) Uh And I just love that because, you know, I fear that's true. Yes. Feels very prescient. Yeah. So that was one. The second, I feel that I should do a puzzle related one. Sure. And this one is I love the weird corners of academia. And Mm -hmm. one of the most delightfully weird corners I ran across was riddle studies, people who are obsessed with riddles, and especially medieval riddles, which were collected Uh by monks and in the 10th century. And there are these famous, like about 100 riddles. And what's interesting is some of them are super dirty. And they were by monks, <laughs> like 10th century monks. So yeah. let me just read you one. Yes. Great. This is, remember, Riddle 25 in the Exeter book. Uh, what am I is the idea. And it says, my stem is erect, 
I stand up in bed. I'm Harry down below. A very attractive peasant's daughter grips me and attacks me in my redness, plunders my head, and she feels my encounter directly. The woman with braided hair gets her eye wet. Wet be her eye at the end of this encounter. So that's that's the <laughs> riddle. Like by oh. this point. And you know, of course, my mind went to the obvious, which yes, is, you man. know, that it's like, you know, a porn, the, their version yeah. of porn. Let's just say it. That's a straight up dick. Yeah. Yes. Straight up dick. <laughs> yep. Like a, you yeah. know, like a, the money shot. And yep. but no, <laughs> the answer is it's an onion. So, like, get your mind out of the gutter, you pervs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is because the onion is in a bed of onions. It's hairy because, you know, hairy you ever see way. those, like, little strings that attach at the yep, bottom? Yep, yep, Her eye is wet. Wet from yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, What I love yeah, is yeah. the hundred-page essays that these people in riddle studies write about, you know, the meaning of this and the narrative and the who has the power. Does monks have the power because they're manipulating? So mm -hmm. it is just hilarious. So I highly recommend the Exeter book, Riddles. The other thing about them is there's no answer key. So some are obvious, like oh. the onion, but some these people spend hundreds of hours debating them. They go to conferences. There's one with like 13 possible answers. It's it's a bucket. No, it's a team of horses. No, it's a comb. You know, it is just hilarious. It kind of becomes a, like a Zen con, right? Right. Mm, you yeah. don't know the, the answer. The point is the pursuit. You don't know the answer. Yeah. Right. It reminds me, I don't know if you talk about this in the book, but the way, let's say, 17th, 16th century scientists would communicate with each other in puzzles, in cryptic messages. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's so funny. Yeah, I do mention yeah. that. Like Galileo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. He put all of his findings in anagram form and you had to figure them out, which yep. must have been super annoying. It was the equivalent of publishing. <laughs> right. And there's that one story, I got, I can't remember, where one scientist sent it to another. The person decoded it wrong. But the person interpreted it as, oh, this guy found out that Mars has two moons, which is not at all what the person found out, but ended up being correct. <laughs> and so the incorrect deciphering of the riddle ended up actually being a correct thing. That's Whoa. good. Anyway, yeah, I have to look up the specifics of that. All right, my what's popping. Oh, yeah, what's popping? What's popping? I, I couldn't decide between two. I'll just say them real quick. I've been playing the video game Hades recently, which I really enjoy. Uh, it's one where you have to die over and over again. It's a big, like, you know, mythological element, obviously, roguelike kind of thing from a couple of years ago. Highly recommend it. And the other is, as typical for me, it's a kind of a soft rock album from the late 70s, early 80s. This week, it's The Dude by Quincy Jones, mm. which is a really great album. It has a lot of the feel for that, like, late 70s kind of off the wall era sound. I mean, the arrangements, the musicianship, playing all of it, just impeccable, really fun, like kind of R&B, early 80s album. Can I just say, Quincy Jones, I quote in the book, oh. because he says, I don't have problems, I have puzzles. Oh, I like that. That's an awesome yep. way to go through life. I feel like writing music is you're solving a puzzle. Like you have these mm. pieces and you want to assemble them and what exactly is going to work. Yeah, songwriting to me does feel like assembling elements of a puzzle. Hmm. All right. Peaches and lemons. It's time for our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. And the theme song <laughs> goes right here. Oh, it's called Peaches and Lemons. Fuck. 
Almost had it. Next time I'll get it. <laughs> At episode 118, you'll get it right. I'll get it next time. All right, Thieves Zone. All right, that was the beautiful theme song for Peaches and Lemons. We're each going to start with a lemon, which is a mild bummer, annoyance, uh, nuisance, gripe, what have you. Hmm. So, lemons. Do you want to kick this off, Layden? No, because I didn't write one down. Uh, well, I didn't write one down either, but I do Fuck. have one. Uh, no, it's fine. I, <laughs> my I, lemon I can is go. that you don't have a lemon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my lemon... This is a a tongue-in-cheek lemon, which is that today, Audrey, my almost eight-year-old daughter's school, had a theme day, as they occasionally do, which is dress up like a rock star. Okay. And so I said to my daughter, is there any particular rock star you have an affinity for, a rock musician that you like? (laughs) live with (laughs) that maybe has really influenced your life that you want to dress up as. And she said, Nope. (laughs) And then wore a generic costume of tights and a t-shirt. Oh, that is tragic. And she used to wear a little ninja costume, you know, like I wear on stage and I could just feel to me, it was just like, Oh, I can feel the teenageriness. Like Mm. it used to be not even visible. And now that car is heading right for me and I can see the headlights and <laughs> it's about to hit me probably sooner than I hope. I am sorry. Was she any particular rock star or just a generic? No, th- this star. is the real salt in the wound is it wasn't even someone that she knows. It was just like a generic costume. Right. As opposed would to- it have been worse if it were, say, Dan or Kitty? That would not have been worse. No, that at least is someone <laughs> she knows. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's my I'm sorry to hear that. That's really difficult. Yeah, look, I'm getting through it. (laughs) All right. My very quick lemon is just like, I'm so tired, man. I'm so tired all the time. (laughs) That's all. I'm just really tired. (laughs) It's hard being 24. How's your sleep hygiene? Good. It is? Good. It is actually better than it has ever been in my life. I wake up at like 6.37 in the morning. Go to bed at like 11 or 12. Very impressive for someone your age to wake up routinely at 7 a.m. And I'm not being facetious when I say that. Really, really. No, totally. It's taken a lot of work, but I've discovered that I like... What important shit are you going to get done between the hours of 8 p.m. and 12 a.m.? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. the, the, it's going lower each time. In the morning, though, I could conquer the world by 8 p.m. probably. And then yeah. take a quick cat nap. All right. AJ, what's your limit? My lemon is, it is lookism in the animal world, which I think about a lot. (laughs) It really bothers me that unattractive animals get screwed. And I think the prototypical is the vulture, which is very ugly. It is very ugly, but it's ugly for a good reason. It's ugly because it can't grow feathers on its head because that would get stuck in the carrion, like the dead flesh. And it would get germy. So the fact that they are eating dead flesh for us, like, God bless them. That is so (laughs) awesome. They're not predators. They're not killing people. The animals are already dead and we're rotting and it's gross. But they're out there. They're cleaning it up. They're like conservationists. They're like environmentally sound because they're not like using any energy that would otherwise be. You don't have to like grow food for them. So anyway... I love the ugly vultures, and I wish we would stop using them as a negative. 
Yes. This is like my favorite lemon anybody's ever done wow. in like 117 episodes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Wow. So specific, good. I learned something and I agree with you. Thank yeah. you. I'm very excited. I'm very flattered. Ugly animals <laughs> rule. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, vultures are an important part of the coolest way to send off a body, i.e. is Tibetan sky burial. Like, yes. that's the coolest one. Yes, agree. Absolutely. Let the birds come take me. <laughs> All right, anyway, time for peaches. <laughs> Brian? Yes, I'll blast through mine. Okay. As hinted at, or perhaps said directly earlier, our dear friend Commander Meowch from the band TWRP was in town, and it was just lovely to see him, and we got to actually hang out several times. I went to the zoo, Leighton, you and me and him and a bunch of other people had dinner together, including Audrey. We had some very, very delicious margaritas. Yes, we did. Which hard to find ones that aren't just like sweet swill. Yeah, they were Perfect. And I just love that guy. And it was a thrill to see him again. Peach number two is I got to read to Audrey's second grade class this week. It's like the first in-person school thing that I've done in that classroom with all the kids there since they let everybody back on. And it's just so fun to see those kids. They're still so tiny in second grade and lots of laughs, lots of like one kid kept pretending to faint. Audrey, I had to ask her to go sit slightly further away from me because she was so excited that I was there that she was being a little distracting. What did you read? Uh, I read Even Monsters Need Haircuts, the scariest book ever, My Cat, the Silliest Cat in the World, uh, a few others that I can't remember at the moment. But yeah, really fun kids' books. So it was just great to see him. Kids are cute. Kids can be cute. <laughs> yes. They can be cute. Although I, I, I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm suspecting that my seven-year-old and I have slightly different agendas, but I guess we'll we'll see where that goes. The final peach is that I put out a new kids album for my band, Go Banana Go, last Friday. It's already out. It's already out. Came out. Uh, Congratulations. A week ago. Yeah, Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. The really fun thing is it's getting a bunch of radio play on Sirius. So we submitted the album to them and said, hey, do you want any tracks? And they picked like, not just like one track, they picked a bunch of tracks from the album to play. And so if you listen to Kids Place Live on Sirius XM, my partner in the band, Jim Roach, sent me pictures the other day. He's like, they just played two of our songs in a row. It's Really excited. I've never been a part of any project that has ever received a radio play. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God, we're actually getting played on the Congratulations, radio. Brian. That is awesome. Thank you. And congrats so. to Jim as well. And also to Audrey. Yes. Does Audrey know that her voice gets to be on the radio? Yeah. So AJ, my daughter is part of some of these songs and one of the tracks they picked. So she's like getting radio play as a That's huge. seven-year-old, which is pretty great. Is it the Petting Zoo one? It is Petting Zoo. Yes. That one was stuck in my head. This is always happens. Anytime you send me things from your jazz album or Go Banana Go, it just like, it sticks in my craw. That's, that's what I do. You do great work, my friend. Thank you very much. All right, those are my peaches. Those are lovely. Beautiful. Thank you. AJ, peaches? Now, my peaches include, I love watching my dogs twitch in her sleep. I just think it's just uh, one of my favorites. I'm hoping that she's twitching with joy, like she's running in a field and it's not a nightmare. So that's the only yeah. caveat. But other than that, I love that. Well, you know what I'm also is a peach for me is the tangents that you two go on on this very show. Oh, wow. Thanks. One of my favorite tangents was the 
MILF when you guys went in a deep discussion of MILF <laughs> and that Brian thought it was mom, comma, I like to fuck, like an announcement. <laughs> and it made me think, you remember that book, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves? Of course. Yes. yes. Yeah. You could do the more adult version of Eats, Shoots, and Leaves, like mom, <laughs> I'd like to fuck. Yeah. I love that. I can't believe you heard that episode. By far, our most chaotic episode ever. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, in a fun way. I love that episode with with. It's, uh, it's great. Alpha and Rat. we need to have Jacob back on. <laughs> yeah, he was <laughs> awesome. It was a delight yeah. to listen I'm to. I'm glad you heard that. Well, yeah. thank, thank you for listening to our show. It's much appreciated. Yes. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, and then the other peach, I just, you know, I want to throw out thanks to the people who made the Puzzler Hunt and who volunteered their time. I did pay the people who created it but they could have charged me so much more for the amount of genius that they put in. <laughs> and so I'm very grateful that they were budget-minded and that it's just turned out awesome. And to Brian and all the testers, oh, thank, you. thank you for their time. Of course, it was a real pleasure to be a part of. Yeah, for sure. All right, Leighton. Beautiful. I'll jump through mine. My first peach is the same as Brian's peach. We got to get dinner with, as Audrey calls him, Kitty. And Kitty. we had a beautiful little meal. And then we did some bar hopping, ended up at a diner in the middle of the night. It was just like really, really wonderful. Yep. My second one is that I keep just being busy with gigs and work stuff. I feel like any creative venture I do for like fun, like I'm always switching between writing and 2D drawing and 3D and music, but I've, I've been off of 3D for a while. And now that I have a rig that can like handle some pretty fancy stuff. I've gotten back into doing it partially for work. And it's just like of things that I picked up over the pandemic in terms of hobbies, learning 3D, I think was a really essential part of like my artistic journey. And I think will <laughs> serve me well for years to come. And it's just so relaxing and joyful. So I love doing that. And then my third peach is just like, it's been a really fun couple of weeks of getting to see people I haven't seen for a long time and being really social in a real way for the first time since pandemic started. And I think from 2020 to now, I've made so much progress as a person and also just as conquering social anxiety. And I just feel very like loving and loved and confident. And I, for, you know, maybe the first time in my life, I really like myself right now. So... That's wonderful. Yeah, those are my pieces. Yeah, you and I have seen each other in person more in the past week than we have in the past year, hmm. I think. Past two years even, I think. Yeah, maybe even. Yeah, which is <laughs> the best. So, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's those lovely. Those are fantastic. And yeah. I like both of you, so... Uh... <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. Thanks, AJ. Yeah, this has been so wonderful. You are such a great presence. I would love to have you back sometime. You have the most relaxing voice, and this has just been <laughs> like a, a treat. Nice. Yeah, I don't always get the word relaxing to describe my voice, but I'm honored. <laughs> and uh, I'll come back anytime. You name it. I am there. We'd love to have you back. When I asked you to be on the show, I was like, I don't know, like, it's AJ Jacobs. Like, is he going to be willing to be on this? <laughs> so uh, I'm really honored that you chose to be here and to take all this time with us. So thank you again, and thanks for all the many hours hours of enjoyment I've gotten from the puzzles that exist because of you. Oh, well, thank you. All right. Peaches all around. Yeah, yeah. indeed. <laughs> so where can people buy your books or check you out online? Where would they go to do that? They can buy them wherever books are sold and 
you know, I, I'm a fan of indie bookstores, even Barnes and Noble, which when I started was the evil, the evil overlord. And now they're yep. like a little mom and pop. So yep. <laughs> I, I support them too. And then, um, yeah, ajjacobs.com and the puzzler hunt is at thepuzzlerbook.com. So I'd uh, love to hear from anyone out there. And by the time this comes out, people will still have time to get fresh puzzles. They'll still be being released. So this is coming out in the middle of the hunt. So definitely go check it out and solve some puzzles. Exactly. Cool. Well, that is our show for today. And folks at home who've been listening along, listening, listening, folks at home who have been listening. Who have been listening to the side as they, as they hear the show. Yeah. Yes. Hope you're doing well, taking care of yourself, staying hydrated, that you are pursuing things you are curious and passionate about and, you know, being kind to others. Now, normally I would say a stupid catchphrase at the end, but I've started doing this thing Mm. where I ask the guests, is there any, like, statement, pithy slogan, catchphrase, whatever you want to say, like, what do you want to send a missive, like, from the the wings of a bird carrying a little (laughs) scroll? The catchphrase I talk about in my book is, don't get furious, get curious. So when you're trying to solve problems, don't get furious, get curious. Wow, that's great. Thanks, I I didn't come up with it. A plus. It was a child (laughs) psychologist who was watching and teaching me how to not get furious. But I was like, that's not just for kids. That's That's for everything. That's a great motto. Yeah, I love it. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all. Late Night is produced by Brian Wett, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>